Advent series, and as I mentioned last week, probably a, a main truth that we will come back to probably just about every week of this series um, has to do with why God gave the Ten Commandments in the first place. And I think that's a, an oftentimes a misunderstood um, point about why God would even give the commandments in the first place. And so what we basically spent the entire first week of this series talking about is why God gave the commandments. And God did not give the commandments to serve as a pathway for human beings to get into a relationship with God. The purpose behind the commandments was not so that we could basically check off doing a good job at that one, doing a good job at that one, doing a good job at that one, and so God will now love me because I'm doing a pretty good job keeping these commandments. It's not like they're like a benchmark where if you're doing like 70%, then you're in good with God, or maybe God, um, he's a little bit more gracious of a curver or of a grader, so he grades on a curve, you know, at like 60% or 50%. Maybe some of us, you know, we're thinking, man, maybe like 10%. Um, that's, you know, the whole reason behind the commandments is not to be that pathway to get in right with God. In fact, God gave the commandments to people who already had a relationship with him. He had already shown that he was a gracious God. He had already shown that he was a savior God. He had rescued them from Egyptian slavery. And it wasn't until many years later that God finally gave them the commandments for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons was to serve as a way to protect and to preserve the relationship that they had with God. So God's intent through these commandments was to protect that relationship that God already had with these people. Okay, so we talked about that the first week. Um, when we, then we looked at the first commandment, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, and uh, the big idea behind that commandment is that God is the, the one and only God, and he is a savior God, and so he wants to be the most important thing in our lives. He doesn't want any, any person, anything, any relationship to be more important to us than our relationship with him because he is our savior. So we talked about that, and then last week uh, we talked about um, what we call the second commandment, the commandment that says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And I think um, maybe a good uh, lesson for all of us in that the second commandment, while I think many of us probably associate the second commandment and misusing God's name with simply do not cuss, you know, do not use God's name to, to cuss or to damn, to do something like that. And while that does fit in with the second commandment, the, the broader application of that commandment is that God is saying, I don't want you to associate me through my name, I don't want you to associate me with something that I don't want to be associated with. Or I don't want you to, to leverage my name, leverage who I am, simply to get your way, especially when it's not something that I don't want anything to do with. And I think for a lot of us, that probably hits home a lot more often in our lives than just do not cuss. Now tonight, third commandment. So we've had two commandments of do not, you shall not. Um, tonight, as we study the third commandment, kind of exciting for us. It's the, the first time we get to do something. It's the first time God isn't saying, don't do something, and instead he's finally saying to us, I want you to do something. And I think as uh, good Americans, all of us, we like to, to be active. We like to, you know, kind of have something to do rather than just be told not to do something. And so tonight, maybe um, this one will be a little bit more exciting to you in that we get to finally to do something, to put something into practice. And uh, so the third commandment, we read it from Anybody remember where you find the Ten Commandments? Just kind of as a review, we read it tonight. 
Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament. Anybody remember what book from the Old Testament? The book of Exodus. Good. You guys are paying attention. Anybody want to throw out the chapter that we're talking about? Exodus chapter. Anyone? 20. Okay. Exodus chapter 20, where God gives the Ten Commandments. So, in Exodus chapter 20, we have the third commandment, which simply says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, there's kind of a lot of uh, big words in there, or a couple of big words at least in there that need some, probably some explanation. Sabbath, remember, so we're supposed to remember the Sabbath day. What is a Sabbath? Um, A Sabbath, that word has behind it the idea, the connotation of rest, of taking a break, of taking it easy. And God said, just like after he created the world in six days, then he rested, he basically had a Sabbath day for himself, Now he patterns the life of his Old Testament believers on that and he says, for six days I want you to work and then I want you to take this day off, 24-hour day off. It was Saturday for them, that was the Sabbath day and they weren't supposed to do any kind of work on that day. And for the Old Testament believers, I think that this did something for them that is maybe where we're going to pick up tonight a lesson for us because God doesn't tell us that we are to take Saturdays off. Okay, so God doesn't carry this through to the New Testament and say, on Saturdays, I don't want you to do any work. But for the Old Testament believers, God said, on Saturday, I don't want you to do any work. And the reason, I think, why God told them, you can work for six days and then take this day off, had to do with this idea that we as human beings, we need seven days worth of provisions, correct? We need to, to eat and to drink and to have a livelihood that is going to carry us through seven days and God is mandating for them that you can only work six days even though you need provisions for seven days. And I think what that did for his Old Testament believers is that it taught them that they needed to rely on God. They needed to trust God that he would provide for them seven days worth of provisions out of six days worth of work. And that he was going to take care of them, provide for them, meet their needs off of six days of work for seven days out of the week. And so week after week, year after year, you know, you know, it just kept going on. For hundreds of years, they were to keep this Sabbath day where they didn't do any work. Now, for us as New Testament Christians, this whole idea of Sabbath, rest, is something that's still meaningful to us. And so the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day, remember to rest, and we're going to talk about what that rest is that we're talking about. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. To keep something holy is simply to, it means it's that it's set apart. So you're supposed to, you know, if there's like fine china in the cabinet, that it, you know, it's just kind of set apart for those special occasions, but on the special occasions, you bring all, all, out that, all that fine china. God's basically saying that's kind of like the holy day. That's like the Sabbath day. You're supposed to make special use of that once a week. And you're supposed to have this set apart day where you rest and trust that God will provide for you. Now, it's kind of ironic, I think, that God has to give a commandment to us to rest, right? You wouldn't think that we would need to be commanded to relax. And yet, the third commandment, God's saying, hey, remember to rest. 
And while it might sound a little bit ironic that God has to give one of the Ten Commandments to be this idea behind resting, um, it really shouldn't be all that surprising to us as Americans. I looked up a little bit of statistical data from last year, and 57% of Americans, so over half of Americans last year, did not use all of their vacation time. How many of you here tonight did not use all of your vacation time last year? A few of you raising your hand. On average, Americans, those 57% that didn't use their vacation time, on average, they left behind 11 days worth of vacation time. Now, there's a, there's a numerical value for 11 days of unused vacation time by 57% of working Americans, and that numerical value is $34 billion of unused vacation time. Probably shouldn't come as any surprise that the profit per employee rate, so how much profit an employer makes off of each employee, is at a 10-year high right now when 57% of Americans don't use 11 days' worth of vacation valued at $34 billion. Do you think that we need to be reminded to relax a little bit? Do you think we need to be reminded that it's okay to let go sometimes? Now, they interviewed a lot of the, well, not a lot, but they interviewed some of these people that didn't use uh, their, their vacation time and basically asked, why is it that you're not using your vacation time? And one of the main reasons, one of the top reasons why Americans, we don't use our vacation time is because we're afraid to basically lose control in our work environment. We're afraid that if we leave Either things are not going to go as well as if we were there, or that if we leave, that things, when we get back, things are going to be so disorganized, so out of control, that it's going to be more stressful for us when we get back to work to try and reorganize and get everything back underneath control, our control, that it's better to just stay and let the vacation time go than it is to actually take the vacation and get away. Do you think we as Americans need the reminder to relax and to rest? I think we do. Because I think that there's an underlying theme that probably is true for just about all of us that comes out of this statistical data from last year and vacation time. And this underlying theme is that we all like control. We all like to make sure that things are going the way that we want them to go. And if things aren't going the way that we want them to go, we like to, to be able to get in there and figure out how things are going to happen in our lives. We like to control our lives. We like to control our livelihood. And so we can wrap our hands around it and we need to be there and to be a part of it. Now, not necessarily a bad thing. Not saying that you should, you know, not care about how, how you know, how you're going to have food on the table. You're, you shouldn't care about, you know, the job that you have. You should care. You should work hard. But there's a line that is crossed when we go from this idea of, you know, who's going to provide for us. Is it me? Is it my, you know, is my inability to let go and take some time off, is that, a, you know, is that a reflection of the fact that my trust 
is ultimately in my hands and in my ability to provide for myself. And if it is, that's where we've crossed the line. And that's where God comes to us tonight and he says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And we're going to talk about that from Matthew uh, and look at some verses from Matthew chapter 11. So, up on the screen, or in a Bible, Matthew chapter 11, just a couple of verses tonight. Jesus is talking, and he says to Christians, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Sounds good, does it not? Right? I, we like this verse. Jesus saying, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, what does that mean? We'll talk about that. But Jesus is saying to all of us, he's saying, come to me and I will give you rest. Now, that word come to me, think about that. Jesus is giving us essentially a command to come to him, to get rest. Why? Because Jesus knows that we all have a tendency to rely on ourselves and to trust our own ability to provide for ourselves rather than to rely on him. And when we rely on ourselves, as we so often do, we are the ones that are weary and burdened in this life. Now, weary and burdened, Jesus is saying, I want you to come to me I'm encouraging you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Now, weary and burdened, weary, that Greek word for weary, it's a, it's a present tense word, so that means it's got ongoing action. And basically, what the idea behind that word is that, you know, it's kind of like the hamster on the, in, the, in the wheel, you know, just all of this trying, all of this striving, you know, just trying to get ahead and just like never getting there. And so it's what we're doing, it's the effort that we put into trying to provide for ourselves, which makes us weary. And we have a tendency to have an ongoing pattern in our lives of trying to provide. Trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to get ahead and trying to find peace and trying to find happiness and trying to find contentment. And it's just this never-ending cycle of trying to find it. And Jesus says when we do that, when we live like that, we become weary. And he also says, come to me all you who are weary and those of you who are burdened. Now burdened um, has the idea behind it that Things are loaded on top of you. And this is the same word that's used to talk about a cargo ship. If you can picture one of those giant um, container ships that goes across the ocean. And if, you ever, if you've ever seen one that has no cargo on top, none of those containers on top, does it sit high or does it sit low? It sits high, right? When it becomes burdened, when they stack those containers on it, it gradually sinks down deeper and deeper and deeper into the water. Jesus is picturing us having been so burdened by this striving to get ahead and this striving to make it that we're like this cargo ship that's been pushed down deep into the water. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever experienced the continual striving and the continual burden that we so oftentimes face in this life? If I could sum all of those 
feelings and all of those experiences up into one word tonight, maybe the best way to describe that for our lives is unrest. This state of unrest where we are burdened by the struggles of life just to get by. Now, that's not the way God created the world. I mean, think back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. If there's one word that you, we maybe tonight could describe uh, life in the garden, we could say rest. And in Scripture, rest always has this idea of this settledness of our souls. So when we rest, when we are, you know, when we're able to rest in God, it always has this idea that our souls are, are settled. That there is this sense of easiness, that there is this sense of relaxing, that there is this sense of resting. And in the garden, that was life. This idea characterized by rest. Why? Because they continually relied on God to provide everything that they needed. There was no worry about finding contentment. There was no striving to find success. There was no trying to get ahead. There was this continual state of rest, which was based on reliance of God to provide for their needs. Now, there's this thing called the fall into sin. And the world went from a state of rest to a state of unrest. And we now experience on a daily basis the unrest that is the direct result of sin in this world. And we all face times of being weary and times of being burdened. And Jesus' encouragement for you is to come to him. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will provide for you a sense of settledness in your life when you bring your worries and your troubles, and your trials, and your burdens to me. And he commands us to do this. And he will be the one to give us rest. Now, what does it mean when Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest? Did you ever think about that? How do you give someone rest? I can understand giving someone a vacation. I can understand giving someone a sense of relaxation. What does it mean to give someone rest? Let me give you an example of what I think God's talking about here. Last week, I was in New Ulm for a convention. Got there Tuesday morning. Wednesday morning, woke up with a migraine. Was sick. Couldn't get out of bed was a miserable uh, probably eight hours as I just laid in a dorm room bed all by myself, couldn't open my eyes, and wanted nothing more than to just get home. Got home that afternoon, and I could what? Rest. Why? That sense of being home, that sense of my wife being there, My wife provided for me rest, the ability to rest. Why? How? Simply because she was there and she was able to provide for what I needed and I could rest. God says, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. What does he mean? 
He means that when we come to him and we give to him our burdens and our worries, that he is going to provide for us that sense of being able to rest. How? Because we have a God who is bigger than anything in this world. We have a God who is more powerful than anything in this world. We have a God who is more powerful and can can use his power in a great way to overcome any of the trials and the struggles and the burdens that we face in life. He is greater. He is more powerful than anything. And so for us, that gives us rest. We have a God who knows everything. We have a God who knows how everything in our lives, even when it's challenging, even when it's hard for us, God knows how that's going to work out for our eternal good. And while we don't know how it's always going to work out, we trust that he does. And that provides us with rest. We have a God who's always present. We have a God who never leaves us, never forsakes us, never leaves us to figure it out on our own. And knowing that he is always with us through the trials of life provides us rest. And Jesus commands us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, give me your burden. And by my power, by my knowledge, by my presence, I will give you rest. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be there for you throughout everything. And he goes on, Jesus goes on, and he says, Take my yoke, we'll talk about that, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we don't live in an agricultural society, and even if we did, we have things called tractors and plows, and we don't, have, we don't use things like oxen and, horse and horses anymore. But I think all of you are familiar with this idea of a yoke, this beam of wood typically that was laid upon the shoulders of two oxen or two horses or two donkeys, something like that, laid across the, the shoulders of them, And then there is some kind of harness that they would, you know, walk into and together the two of them would pull a plow or or a wagon or whatever it was. And so the two of them work together. Now let me ask you, just picture this for yourself, okay? It's a little bit silly. But just picture um, that here's the yoke and here's the two harnesses and you're, you're supposed to walk into one of them, okay? The person next to you Do you want that person to be like four years old? Or do you want that person to be like Scott Banky or or some big strong person that's going to pull with you? You want it to be someone who's probably stronger than you, somebody that's more capable than you. Now here's the thing. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And what he's getting at is, I want you, you've got a yoke. You're in a yoke right now. You're pulling with something. And guess what? That something that you're pulling with, that's obviously not working very well for you because you're weary and you're burdened. And yet, the picture there is that we're in this yoke and our hands are clenched around the harness of this thing and we are sticking with it. It doesn't matter that what we're yoked to isn't working for us. 
The idea is that we're there and we are just holding on and we're just going to grit this thing out. And Jesus is saying, hey, 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 stop. Take my yoke instead. Again, it's a strong encouragement. Jesus has got to encourage us, almost command us to stop doing what isn't working and take his yoke and use that instead. Now, why is that so difficult for us? Why is it so hard for us to let go of the way that we are working right now, which obviously isn't working for us, and to take Jesus' yoke, which is different than the yoke that we're presently in? Why is that so difficult for us? I think it comes back to this whole idea of control. Because when we're in our yoke, Even though we're weary and burdened, even though it's not going very well, at least we feel like we're in control and we can grab onto this thing and we can just try. And there is a sense when we take that yoke off and put on that other yoke that that's hard for us. I think that's hard for a lot of us. And that's why Jesus has to command us and encourage us to take off that yoke and to take on his yoke. What does that mean? put on a yoke to put on Jesus' yoke. Remember what he says? He says that he is gentle and humble in heart. And when you take on my yoke, you're going to find rest for your soul. Because when you take on my yoke, Jesus says, remember who's pulling. Remember that you're now attached to me. Remember that I am more powerful. Remember that I know all things. Remember that I'm going to work everything out for your good. And just let go. Just let go of all that striving and all that trying and all of those things that are just weighing you down because I'm going to provide rest for your soul. And so in the third commandment, God comes to us in a very strong way and he says, Come to me. Give me your burdens. Give me your struggles. Give me your stress. And I'm going to provide rest for your soul. And you know what? We can trust him. We can trust him. Because the greatest need that we had, he already took care of that. The thing that we could never accomplish on our own, no matter how much striving, no matter how much trying, that we could never, ever, ever accomplish on our own. God already took care of that through his son, Jesus. God already provided. He's already proven himself. And now Jesus comes to us and he says, I've forgiven your sins. I've made you my child. I've made you right with your heavenly father. Quit striving, quit trying, quit being burdened. Come to me and rest. Trust me. And what Jesus is saying is that reliance in him results in rest for our souls. And I think that is the R and R that so many of us need. To rely on Jesus because that reliance on him results in rest for our souls. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, you know that life is difficult. 
you know that life for us is full of challenges, it's full of hardships, which have a tendency to weigh us down. And Lord, as you know, we so often want to be in control. We so often trust ourselves. We so often rely on ourselves. And because of that, we continue to be burdened and to be weighed down. Lord, you have sent us a Savior who comes to us tonight and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will provide for you a sense of settledness for your soul as we rely on him. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would strengthen our faith, that you would encourage us to rely on Jesus for the rest that we so desperately need. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.